All right, we are live here today with Sue Donnellan. Sue Donnellan is the author and international best-selling book, Secret to Parenting Without Giving a F. We'll keep it clean today. Uh, so you are, um, I was going to go off your pod match here. You are a uh, founder of Ask Mom Parenting Platform, which removes the daily overwhelm from parenting through your mentoring programs. You also have a website, askmomparenting.com. And today we're going to be talking about your book, which I have up here, that you are recommending everyone get to start to work on themselves. So if you could just further and better introduce yourself, and then I have a whole host of questions to ask you. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> uh, so a little bit about me in terms of how I got into this space. I am an entrepreneur, three-time entrepreneur, three different businesses. Um not a huge fan of kids. Never thought I was going to really have any until I married a guy who loves children. I was going to so, say, don't you have triplets? I do. So we, <laughs> I said, okay, how bad could it be? I'll give you a kid. We, we, we had one child and then my second child turned into three for the price uh -huh. of one. So, um, so I went from one to four kids overnight and just really became overwhelmed under you know i understand the overwhelm of parenting i understand yelling all the time i understand that the desire to punish and do all the things that we were raised with the grounding and the restriction and my husband was also in the military so he was deployed a lot and i was just by myself running my own business for kids um so those with the most to learn tend to be some of the better teachers <laughs> because we just you know started from from a position of just complete overwhelm and misunderstanding as to how to get these little kids to behave. Uh, so by the time the kids were teenagers off to college, I I had been mentoring parents for a long time. I have a business where I, I spend time teaching them how to get behavior changes and so forth. So wrote the book uh, as a, as a, just a side effect of those mentoring sessions and just seeing a real need. Perfect. And uh, what are some of the key, you had mentioned just before we jumped on that, one of the most important things, because we're going to talk about parenting here, but you were mentioning something about you have to work on yourself first before you can worry about your children. Can you better explain that to me? Yeah. Uh, for us to show up differently, uh, the realization hit me that if I wanted to, to affect change with my kids, I needed to change myself. So the conventional wisdom is that we are working on changing the kid, changing the kid's behavior, changing them. Uh, but if we continue showing up the same and doing the same thing and yelling and punishing and doing all the same tactics that we're doing and we're getting a certain behavior from them, if we don't sit with ourselves and say, how am I showing up and how can I do this differently? How can I reapproach this? Uh, so the first half of the book is about your relationship with yourself. Everything is about relationships. So lose your ego. Guilt is a wasted emotion. How to let go of control. All of these types of things they all play a part as to how we parent. So that first half, those things that we're learning in that first half of the book, we carry with us to the second half of the book, which is your relationship with your child and how to show up with respect, how to teach and train, how to approach our children with that foundational respect and partnership mentality. Um, how to get your kids to tell you everything. That's one of my favorite chapters. <laughs> so uh that's how the book is structured. So it's really one one chapter builds upon the next until you get to the very end where we all learn and understand that punishment is pointless. Where do you think the incorrect or 
where parents struggle? Does it just come from frustration? Is it is it learned? Is it how we were treated as children? I mean, we're we're all trying to do our best, right? It's just we, we kind of get to wit's end. And I I have adult children, and we're pretty much through that for the most part. But you just I guess unless you reach out for help or you look for resources, you you just do your best. Absolutely, we're we're all just doing what we know and what we what we do best. We we are, I think it's just kind of an interesting um, situation when we have kids. You no matter what you read, no matter what you do, no matter what your experiences are, we all think we might have an idea of what parenting involves and what it is. And it's nothing. There is no way to prepare for parenting until you are in it, until you experience it. So we find ourselves thrown into the deep end where we're yelling and. We expect these little kids to be to to know and understand if the first time we tell them something. So our frame of reference is just completely thrown on its ear. We're we're completely beside ourselves. All we really have to do is pull from how we were raised. So if you don't sit with yourself and you don't ask yourself the hard questions about what am I bringing to this relationship? Where how was I raised? How is that informing my parenting? And is it working? Uh, you know, we all do need to start somewhere. I did go to a parenting class. We had our child, our oldest in a Montessori mm-hmm. preschool. And I went to a parenting class there and, you know, I was locked and loaded. I look, I got a husband at war, four kids overnight. I have a business, but I, I had all these justifications about why I was yelling at my kids. And the teacher just simply asked, is it working? <laughs> Three words, you know, boom, like, nope, it's not working. So that was a splash of cold water on my face to realize, okay, I need to sit and figure out what, how I'm showing up and how I can show up differently. So that was what kind of pivoted my behavior and thinking, okay, I can't keep yelling and getting results. Every, I shouldn't say everything. So many things come back to communication and kind of self-reflection, even, I mean, not only with parenting, you know, look at yourself first, as you're saying, but it just with you know, because I handle people going through divorce, you know, people having marital problems. And so many of the people I talk to doing other podcasts is that it always starts with looking at yourself and what, you know, what are you doing? What can you correct as opposed to blaming? Kind of like you said, you came in fully loaded and realized the first thing they put it right back on you. Well, like that's why I structured the chapters the way that I did, because the, one of the very first things is, you know, ego is, your, you know, get your ego out of the way. And then I go through a series of questions and asking ourselves, well, where, what's, what am I bringing to the table? And is that coming from how I was raised and how can I show up differently? Uh, you know, one of the most important things we have is our ability to choose. And I have a whole chapter on that. Um, one of our greatest gifts, one of our greatest powers is, is our ability to choose every single day. Uh, every with every moment we're making decisions, we're making choices. How do we empower ourselves to make those choices the most effective for myself and for the family and the leadership culture that I'm creating? I talk a lot about leadership as parents. The children need leadership. We're starving for leadership. Um, but I can't provide leadership if I'm not being honest with myself first and figuring out how to hone my skills and how I'm being viewed by my kids with the most honest assessment, put that mirror on yourself. Where can people, so aside from uh, reading your book, what's the first step a parent can take if they're really struggling with their children? Well, 
just, you know, just being honest with yourself, you know, our, our relationship to success is, is directly related to our ability to change ourselves, change our own behavior. So that it starts with us. Um, however, you know, even in my case, when I was yelling, we all need a little assist. We all need some disinterested party who's either been through it, who's, who's had results, someone who can just show you the way. I mean, that's why with me, with mentoring, a lot of times I really don't have to spend a ton of time with parents. We just cut right to the chase as to, okay, here's what's going on. I have some very foundational methods that I teach that really apply to not only children, but your work relationships, your mm-hmm. marriage relationships, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, you know, that these, some of these foundational things that I teach at the end of the first half of the book is my magic mantra. And that mantra is, I'm only in charge of me. I'm not in charge of you. And when you really learn to embrace the essence of what that means, it's not just words, uh, you really start to understand that I don't have any skin in the game of what you're deciding and what you're doing. I'm only in charge of me. And when we let go of how we think we need to control other people's decisions and what their fallout is or what their consequence to their decisions are, uh, you know, we start to have a little bit more of a better relationship with people. And I suppose it's helpful, you know, through your book and, and like you say, talking to others or having some other party involved is to realize that you're not the only person going through this issue with your kids that, that probably most people have at least some parents. It's universal. It's universal. And that's yeah. why it's funny Be as much as we've all gone through it, uh, we have to live it to experience it, uh, to understand it. But we do find ourselves quite overwhelmed when we're trying to work and balance all of our lives with, you know, running regular errands, keeping a household running, uh, making a living, and then having these kids who are just picking at us and needling us. And we need to be able to speak with someone else to learn about the big picture and have some methods, have some tools in our toolbox with which to respond. That doesn't include punishment, grounding, timeouts, all of these things that we continue doing, even though they don't work. Yeah. And I want to get into some of those as well and and understand why they don't work. But I wanted to ask you, and I have a a series of questions for you, but what would you say the top issue parents are having today currently? Is there one you can narrow that down to or? You know, it depends on the age, but the younger Mm -hmm. kids, it's really just behavioral. They don't listen to me. They're not listening. Uh, That's the number one thing is just when, you know, I keep repeating myself over and over again, they're not listening. and, you know, anywhere from like three years old to, to 12 years old, of course, teenagers don't listen no matter what you've done. So <laughs> we, we have a whole nother set of approach for, for that. But uh, just not listening. Parents are just frustrated because when the child isn't listening, um, then we are now escalating. I thought I told you, I, you know, you never listen to me. You know, we start to make accusations. We start to call names. We start to punish. Uh, and it just escalates the situation. So I, I've got some interesting, like I said, foundational methods that I kind of my trademark methods as to how I teach parents to uh, look for patterns and interrupt those patterns and then parent in advance with that information. And we, we have a whole structure of just how to, how to do that. So you brought up a good point that the parenting issues or challenges come at different ages. And it reminded me, you know, we have two adult children, one girl, one boy. And so I have a question. I don't know if you know the answer to this. What, 
what happens to girls at around 10, 11 through say 15, 16, where they just completely lose their minds? (laughs) (laughs) One thing I can tell you, and we've got three boys and a girl. uh, One thing I can say with certainty is that we are not raising girls with confidence. And it starts very young, but I'm seeing a preponderance of girls around that age, growing up through teenage years, who haven't been given the tools with which to have confidence in themselves and self-assurance. And I know these are generalization comments. I mean, you know, not every girl, but I'm seeing it. My daughter, her friends, just just the parents that I'm mentoring. Uh, so, you know, I think most teenagers they we 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 have this thing in Boise, Idaho, where it's called a, an inversion, and it's where fog comes, and we have days of fog. And um, I always equate that to a teenage brain. So it's like the kid's brain is in this inversion. And then all of a sudden at a certain age, uh, through experiences, through hormones changing and a variety of things, that fog starts to lift and we start to say, ah, oh, okay. Now you're starting to grasp what, what we're teaching and what we're training. But confidence building is important for boys and girls, but I'm seeing it really manifesting in girls. And um yeah, and boys are different too. Even with three boys, I said early on, we are not raising men right. We are not raising boys right right now. Uh, there's, again, these are generalizations, but little boys are very tactile. They're very, you know, they're, they're, they've got to be moving. They've got to be having, you know, does it break? Can I hang from it? Can I? They're very tactile, very energetic. And that's normal. You know, that's what normal boys do. But in school, I saw a lot of the teachers being frustrated and not really knowing how to handle that energy. Uh, And it doesn't make them a bad boy. It doesn't make them bad. They just need that outlet. They need that understanding. And girls, you know, early on, they will sit and quietly read and they're really no problem until then they get a little older. And then, like you said, they go a little bit more off the rails. And we have to allow boys and girls that freedom with which to be what they are, who they are. Uh, and how we can kind of steer that. But really, our job is is a a facilitator. We're facilitating experiences. Our job is to provide experiences and to provide freedom for them to have choices. So freedom within boundaries. So we create the boundary, but the boundary is very set in stone, very few rules, but very clear boundaries. And then they have a lot of freedom within that boundary so they can make their own choices, they can make their own decisions, and they have that safety net at 10, 11, 12 to make those mistakes. So we have to kind of lean into those mistakes and not look at this as a bad kid and not look at this as, uh, you know, they're annoying, they're all, you know, a- a labeling all of this behavior. We don't want to do that. We, we, I teach a lot about partnership parenting. We're partners, uh, we're not friends. And, you know, what we are parents, we are leaders, we're role models, and we're partners. Partners walk alongside you. They're not in front, you know, bossing you around. They're not in the back. They're, they're, they're right by your side saying, and I, I teach a lot about that children are adults in training. So when we shift gears and think in terms of adults in training, now we realize, did we take time for training? It's so funny because I'll talk to parents and they'll say, well, my child says or does this or I say, well, did you sit down and look them in the eye and explain your expectation? You know, we do that in work. We sit in, you know, within, in a work environment and we explain our expectations, but sometimes we think our kids just should know. 
So it's uh, it's an interesting perspective. Sometimes you just slow down and be more intentional. Yeah, I think you really nailed it on the no confidence uh, as a high level issue. Um, and then um, you brought up some good points on how to parent and provide that confidence or at least give the best opportunity for them to have that confidence. And the reason I bring that up is just the other day, my daughter, she's 26, um, and, and I see a lot of uh, people just on you know, YouTube and other folks talking about this thing called imposter syndrome. And I think that directly relates to the lack of confidence. Yeah. Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, you know, we really want to be teaching girls how to be empowered. You know, and I, I, I looked at my daughter, you know, I realized there's a lot of weight on women. We, and I've taught my daughter this, I teach parents to teach their daughters this, that, um, you know, no matter how you want to debate roles and all of this stuff, you know, it is what it is. It, it, we run the household. Uh, I teach the boys, my sons, when you marry someone, when you look at a spouse, whatever you, you know, if the per you may both be working, but honestly, I was a little bitter about this role, but as a person who runs her own business and stayed home, worked from home and had the kids, I had two full-time jobs. Running a household is a full-time job. That's, that's a lot. And it's very important work. My husband was gone outside of the home, but I was there, but I was also working and making money for the family, two full-time jobs. It's a lot of stress on women. We work. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very difficult to be balancing all of that, but I teach the boys, Hey, um, you know, we respect that the women are handling this type of workload. But, you know, and the other thing too that I want to say is that there is no term for working dad. We don't call it a working dad. Why? Why is it only working moms? So we could, I'm not going to go down that, that angle right now. <laughs> yeah. But my, my point though is in teaching and training daughters, right? We as a society still have quite a bit of expectations on our daughters and we need to train them for that. We need to train them that you set the culture of your home. Sorry. As involved as my husband is and was and is amazing father, I mean, true 50-50 partner, I set the culture of the home. I set the processes. So for women, we need to have that confidence to be able to stand up and say that we're empowered to do that. And that starts at a young age. And that starts with, you know, are they in sports? You know, how are we investing in our kids? Are we, are we teaching them where they add value? I mean, huge. One of the biggest things that I teach with, I teach parents is whether it's a boy or a girl, where are you adding value? What gets you out of bed in the morning? You're not going to know that early, but if we can teach them to listen to their own instincts and to be in touch with their own intuition that we all have. And I have a whole chapter in the book about how to make decisions, um, you know, situational awareness. There's a whole host of things that we can do to build that foundation in our child that happens every day. It's an everyday thing that we're doing to instill and invest in our kids, but we're not doing that. We're not doing that with our kids. We're not emotionally showing up for our kids and investing in them emotionally. And it's manifesting in girls that, you know, are looking at social media and, 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 you know, comparing themselves and, um, it's really an unhealthy thing. And I think that it's contributing to the mental health concerns um, that all of our kids are having boys or girls, but there is a lot more we expect out of women. Um, and that's just, you know, as a woman that was doing it all, working, raising kids, being a yeah. wife. Right. So it's just the reality of the situation right now. Is it ever too late? Or is there an age where you can't 
when the kids get older that you lose the ability to help instill confidence? Is it still possible in there? Always. It's adult? always possible. It's always possible. Uh, again, it starts with the intentionality of you're talking with a person like me or reading a book and setting it out parenting in advance. I teach a whole method on that. And what I teach the foundational methods that I instill in, into these parents is, is applicable across the board in your life in, in every way, but it really does help with parenting. Uh, so no, it's never too late to show up for your child with respect. It's never too late to let go of control, which nobody wants a parent stepping in and controlling our lives. That's about your ego. So that's why we have to sit down and ask ourselves the hard questions. Why, why am I doing this? You know, I need to look at this through a very clear lens and an honest lens and understand. And you know what, if you listen to your kids and you watch them, they'll, they'll give you the answer. They'll tell you. And instead of blaming them and being mad at them for not including you, ask yourself, what can I do to be included? What can I do? What, how do I break through that barrier? Is there, um, you had mentioned earlier kind of about let, let them fail. I don't know if you use that, those exact words, but that's the notes I took. Is there, is there a bit of over parenting and in, and not letting them fail? Like we're, we're, we're too involved that that's causing, is that part also maybe part of the, the lack of confidence? Cause we're always right there making sure they don't get not hurt, but you know, physically, but just mentally or, in whatever it is they're doing. It takes a great de degree of confidence to be a parent. So we ourselves need to have our own confidence. And with that confidence, we allow our children to be free and we create independent children. So it, if we're hovering and we're, we're, you know, it may, it's about our ego. If you're honest, it's about making you feel better. Oh, I picked it. You know, I, I caught him before he fell. Oh, I made it better. You know, when they're young, we can kiss a boo-boo and it feels better. And then, you know, when they grow up, that doesn't work anymore. And it feels it's, it's, it's a, it's an ego hit for us that we aren't needed. You know, do we have a need to be needed? We need to ask ourselves these types of things, because if we do have this need to be needed, uh, we're not raising independent children. We're raising kids that are dependent upon us to make their decisions. And then when they're dependent on us, we're upset that we're being asked and tasked with them always needing us. It's a vicious cycle that if someone doesn't call it out to you and give you some of the new ideas with which to, to parent, then it just continues down that cycle. And, you know, our kids resent us. That totally makes sense. I want to jump topics to uh, bullying. Um, I'm sure that's always existed um, with children in, in school, but it seems if you turn on the news these days that that has gotten much, much worse for a variety of reasons, you know, political or otherwise. I'm honestly glad I don't have children in grade school or school in general I mean, depending on the state, obviously, but uh, I'm glad I'm not having to deal with some of these things we're seeing. So bullying, what resources or help can you provide or advice for parents to give their children if they're experiencing bullying or even to the parent in addressing this with their kids? Because it's gotten so bad. There's people moving out of school districts to avoid the bullying. Well, as parents, you know, we really need to be plugged in. Uh, so if we're not involved and we don't it starts with creating a relationship of trust with our kids. So that's first. Have we created a relationship of trust where our child could tell us what's going on? 
Uh, I talk a lot about creating the culture and leadership of our, in our home. So I, we're only in charge of us. We're not in charge of others. So if I'm sending my child to a school district where they're not handling bullying, uh, I, I have to say a lot of these teachers are overwhelmed because the parents aren't doing their job. So we're expecting schools to do the job of the parents. So I, we, there's debate on both sides there. So mm -hmm. I'm only in charge of me, my kids, and how my kids view a situation. I was bullied when I was growing up. My daughter was bullied. Um, one of my sons was bullied. We, it, it's part of, it's like a rite of passage at this point, unfortunately. Yes, and the stakes are getting higher with bullying and then the mental health issues and suicide and all of that. Uh, what I can say is that having dealt with it myself, having dealt with it with my daughter, um, hurt people hurt people. So the number one thing is the first time one of my children was bullied, they were probably in second grade, third grade. Happened and, so soon, doesn't it? Yes. So the first thing I said when my child came home and said so-and-so said and did this, um, the first thing I said was they – hurt people, hurt people. So they're, I'm so sorry. I said, I, I think that maybe they're getting some, some painful situations at home. So let's first approach this with some empathy and look at the child as not the bully, but that what might be going on at their home. Sometimes children have sad home lives. Like I would explain a lot. I took time for training and I treated my child with respect and was honest about what might likely be happening in that child's house. At the young ages, you know, it sort of had my child back off and sort of either avoid the child or view the child with some empathy. Um, and that kind of worked itself out. And of course, if things started escalating, uh, then I would either talk to the teachers, we would, we would document it, maybe talk to the other parents. But again, there's a whole way to approach that, not in an accusatory way. There's a whole host of ways that we approach it with, with respect. Um, you know, any type of negotiation, whether it's business or our kids or any relationship, I give a little, you give a little, we both win. I teach that approach. So as they were older and the stakes did become higher with my daughter in the teenage years, uh, you know, we talked about, and I talk about this in, in my book, there is, I give a whole example of how to um, circumvent this, how that you are in charge of you, your instincts are right, how we can shore up mm -hmm. my daughter's intuitiveness, confidence, and how to handle it, and that we feel sorry for these people. Uh, because gosh, what must they be dealing with at home, that they're lashing out, and this is how people react when they're doing this. Yeah. There's something going on at home. So I taught I only had control over how my my messaging was with my daughter, and that really works. The other thing that I talked about with bullying is that, again, I'm plugged in. My daughter trusted me. She told me what was going on. I, I neutralized it. I didn't make it about her as much as kids can think it's all about them. I used words to neutralize it, and then I got involved with going on a date with my daughter. So at 13, 14, you pick the movie, you pick the, the the restaurant, and I sort of bridged the gap. And I gave her, quote, plans, plans that she wasn't included on. So her, her feelings were hurt. Friends were getting together without her. She was cut out of group chats, whatever it is that was going on. Um, I stepped in. So I'm an involved parent. I'm there. We're setting dates. She gets to choose. I'm getting to talk to her. So we spent time together, and I invested a lot more into her and her time and listening and just having fun with her until 
you know, she got a little older, she could drive, she could work, she could do sports and things sort of leveled off. So there are a variety of ways to handle bullying. Uh, There isn't really one easy answer, but it is multifaceted. And that's pretty much how I talk about handling it. You, you talk about also um, social media and, and how to bring balance. And are you, I have a kind of specific question. Are, are you having to address with parents bullying their children might be receiving through social media? Uh, yes. So at that point, uh, again, you know, what we're going to do is depending on the age, we're going to restrict the amount. So um, first of all, you, you have certain blocks on all your, your media, whether it's the computer or whatever. And then, you know, depending on the age that the child is, their phones are charging it. They don't have access to the phone from 10 on. They're charging it in our bedroom. So they don't have access to what mm. the real amount of time where they're just ruminating over what they're seeing um, is, is during those late hours or just addicted on their phone. I mean, just don't give them access. Again, I'm the leader. I'm making the decisions. I think parents sometimes don't want to disappoint their kids. I mean, our kids are desperate for our leadership. They're desperate for our rules, even though it doesn't seem like that. Uh, they're just really looking to us to provide those parameters, those, those borders around that little bit of freedom. So my, my philosophy is not, well, then just don't give them social media. My philosophy is, you know, we can't put our head in the sand. I, my, my kid has to navigate this at some point. Why not navigate it under my roof while we can talk about it? And by the time they do get on their own and they're in college or they're out on their own, they have some tools with which to monitor and balance this stuff. But yes, it's a very big conversation with parents and porn is also a very probably one of the top things that I deal with with parents that have kids 13 and over well starts that early huh yeah even earlier <laughs> you know I guess there you have to be there there's a, a a way you have to approach this with your children so it doesn't feel like punishment I'm, I'm referring to the the time allotments for social media how do you walk that fine line to make it not feel like you're taking it away as punishment or, uh, you know, you talk about why timeouts don't work. That could almost feel like a timeout to them, you know, from their phone, just in the form of punishment. Well, I have a series of ways that we approach this, these topics. And uh, what that would be is just in general terms is I'm a big uh, proponent of asking your kids and, you know, again, partnering. So in the case of social media, I say, first of all, having this phone is for safety. So I'm only going to give a phone for safety. The minute you start getting out of of the home and you're at sports practices. So let me back up real quick. One of my philosophies is to keep your kids productively busy. They should be in sports or music in some way. At the very earliest age, they should be volunteering or getting a job productively busy. When a child is busy and doesn't have time on their hands, they're not getting as much into trouble. We're, we're, we're really kind of mitigating that. So productively busy is a very important um, f- feature of, of parenting. So that said, uh, if I'm giving you a phone, I'm giving it to you tied with a purpose, a parental purpose, and that's safety. So that's a rite of passage. That's something that you earn. And you're earning that because you're old enough and you've shown me to be responsible. So I'm going to tell you, I'm, and I have a whole chapter about programming. So I'm going to tell you, I feel you're responsible programming you into that. So if you tell them that they usually live up to that, 
So um, this phone is tied to your safety because you're going to a sport or you're going to wherever you're going, you're doing an event that you are away from home. So you need to have a phone to reach me. All the other stuff is on the side. So it's, I'm, I'm setting the tone for why you even have the phone in the first place. So it's not that I'm taking away, I'm actually giving. It's how we position it, it's how we package it. So with that in mind, now we're talking about, all right, they can have a few accounts. I get the passwords, you know, we're setting the tone. We've got the boundaries. They get the freedom within the boundaries. But as a part of this, it's it's for safety and it's and it's not for your continued consumption. And also ask yourself, are you on your phone with continued consumption? What does your child see you doing? Because they're watching. So again, they're watching all the time. So you are the role model. Again, I get back to leadership. Uh, that's what we have to role model. But so if I'm positioning it this way, then it's not necessarily a restriction because I'm packaging it as a as a gift, as a, you know, you've earned this with your responsibility. Now, if I'm giving the phone with that in mind, and then they they start to show that they're not being responsible. Well, that's a condition with which I can, you know, I'm paying for this. So we set all of this up. And with, when, when a parent comes to me with very specific things, we can we always set up the script, so to speak, on how to approach it. But it's very respectful, very so that you know. Getting back to your question about about the social media. So now mm -hmm. we're talking about social media, and you say, well, how much time do you think? Let's negotiate this, and they're going to say you know, five hours or whatever, they're going to come up or what, what do you think your curfew should be? And then they're going to come up somewhere, maybe ridiculous one in the morning, whatever. Now we're going to dial it back. And I'm going to say, well, when I see that you can come home at 10, or when I see that you can handle the balance on your phone with your social, social media, well, then maybe we can earn a little bit more time. Now see, I'm tying this to their behavior. It's creating accountability. It's creating responsibility. Um, so it's not viewed as a restriction at all, because that's not how I've positioned it. Gotcha. You know, I, I noticed one of your topics is how to neutralize sibling fights, um, mm -hmm. which makes me feel better. Because again, going back to what we were earlier talking about, about people needing to realize that everyone's having a problem with parenting is our kids absolutely hated each other at, at certain ages. They're best friends now mm -hmm. in their adult years. But I, I guess that's just a, a norm. Uh, but it appears that there is a way to address that. What, what uh, recommendations do you have there? Uh, again, what, what you do is you, you look for patterns and then you say, okay, when are the kids fighting most and what are they fighting over? And then, you know, we sit down, we, we interrupt the pattern. So if you find that they're fighting over the remote at seven o'clock every night or whatever you let's, let's look at our day, let's break it down, isolate when the sibling fights are occurring. Let's sit down and talk about it guys. When, not when you're mad. Let's it, it, parent in advance. I'm noticing that you guys are having a problem getting along during the seven around seven when you're out and sharing the remote, whatever, uh, for gaming or whatever the heck it is. So I'm noticing this. How can we resolve this? What would work? Would you, how about we say from seven to eight, you get it? Seven, eight, let's come up with solutions. So that's how, when, when we neutralize parent uh, sibling fights, it's about sitting down, talking about it, isolating it, you know, defining it, and then let's come up with solutions between all of us. So then what happens is we get agreement, we get buy-in, okay, this is the plan moving forward. 
And then when they start fighting, which they inevitably will, you say, you, instead of going in and yelling, now you walk up and you say, what did we discuss? What did we agree to? Very specific words that I use. What did we agree to? So they have buy-in. Oh, well, well, my time ends at seven. Whatever it is that you've agreed to, now you're not yelling, but you're taking, you're teaching them accountability and responsibility for their word and for, and they're helping solve their own problem with your mediation. So it works. It works great at every age, no matter what the problem is. Um, we isolate the moments that we see them fighting more and then we, we work it in advance. So it seems like you have to, in all of these, it's not just one answer to correcting parenting. It, it's, it's several steps to be taken. The least of which is to just lose your mind and, and go to a, some type of punishment format, which is what the, what we all you know, end up doing because we don't have these, these tools or understanding on how to approach this, or maybe even taking a step back, knowing that you've been this way. And then they might find it weird that, Oh, why are you coming at me with this whole new way of you know, negotiating? And they do, you know. they do. But, but let me tell you something, 100% they're suspicious. So I teach <laughs> a lot of, yeah, it's funny. Uh, I teach consistency, you know, um, and the other thing too, is it's funny because um, a lot of what I teach is counterintuitive and it should be the norm, but unfortunately the knee jerk punishment grounding and timeouts are the norm. Um, but one of my favorite compliments is from a single dad. And he said, everything, you know, I left my session with you thinking, what is she, you know, what am I doing? And I, and that's when the magic happened. I did what you, what you, you know, as much as I thought it was counterintuitive and odd. And that's when the magic happened. And usually you will get a little bit of an eyebrow raise, but I'm telling you, kids are so resilient and so trusting that within 24 to 48 hours, they are going to, if they see this is the new norm from their parent, which is respect and trust and bringing me into solutions and getting my opinion to where I get buy-in, um, you know, parents, if you're into control, you take what I'm saying as permissive parenting and it's not even close. What it is, is effective parenting. It's about getting and instilling responsibility, getting people to live up to their word, hearing them, showing that you trust and believe in them, even though they might not be worthy of that right now. We're programming that we're instilling that confidence in them at every turn, at every phase. I read that you that your your book was counterintuitive, so I'm glad you explained that how you just did to say it it shouldn't be counterintuitive because it's just we're all falling back to bad habits. So the counterintuitive approach is what should really be happening for effective parents. Well, and that's what you know. I get the biggest question is why I use the title that I that I do um, secrets to parenting without giving an F, right? Well, yeah. actually, that's very same dad is the guy that came up with the title because oh. <laughs> he was well, he just loved. He said, "Wow, I'm." I'm, I'm, I'm actually giving a little bit more of an air of like not caring. Cause if kids think you're really like, I really need you to behave, you know, they like, Oh shit, I've got control over this parent. Like you're giving, you're, you're giving the kids the, the control at that point, because if they sense you really, really want something, they can always dig their heels in and go, no. So letting go of control, you know, um, and, 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 sitting and having an, an adult conversation, which you can do with a child at four or five, 
which is what I did with our, our five-year-old when he was making all the kids cry in the playpen when they were two and three. Um, this is this, this method that I teach is applicable every age, every situation. And, and then once you learn, it's like a foreign language. Once you learn how to do this and that counterintuitiveness turns into common sense, <laughs> you then go, oh, why aren't we all doing this really? Um, and again, a lot of this stems from the Montessori, which opened my eyes to just what kids are capable of at, at such a young age. Um, so it's a lot of that is just this positive parenting philosophy. And it sounds like a more sane approach too, if you can get the, this information out to folks and they can become better parents, they're going to be happier as well because you know, we know from our discussion what doesn't work is is um, too much control, yelling, timeouts, taking phones away. You know, all the things that I, those are last resort in my mind. Those seem like last resort reactions to not parenting correctly and not using the tools that you're talking about. And we talked about a lot of good topics um, today. Is there anything I didn't ask you or any parting advice? Uh, well, I mean, just to, pay, to continue what you just said is like one little thing parents can think about is restriction creates rebellion. Um, <clears throat> so and just think about how you want to be treated. And a lot of times we just forget that our kids can be asked their opinions and we forget to ask them. Parents are so funny sometimes. And we all do this. We they'll come to me and they're going in this cycle, chasing their tail about what, how do I, I'm like, have you asked them? Sometimes it's the most basic thing. Have you asked their opinion? And I don't know what the hesitation is that we think we're the parent and the adult. We have to have all the answers. No, we don't. We are partners and they are adults in training. Like that's my parting shot is they're adults in training. Think of that. Ask every time your child is misbehaving, ask yourself, did I take time to train and explain my expectations? And how can I rework this situation to get buy-in from them, which builds accountability and independence. So you ask them, you get them to agree. And then when the situation happens, which it inevitably will, we go back and say, what did we agree to? And those words are so neutralizing and so empowering. Now the child has to go, what did I agree to? What did I agree? You know, oh, right. I said I was going to bring my phone down to charge it at 10. Ah. And then you always tie it to a little carrot, like, you want, he always wants more time. He always wants more game time. He always wants more of this, that. Like tie your expectation and your restriction to the promise of when you prove to me and you show me that you can handle this, then you get this. And then that that dovetails in with them getting older and then they have more and more and more until you're kicking them out like, okay, be on your way. <laughs> you know, it's uh, bringing this full circle from what you, you brought up in the very beginning of this conversation is... Yeah, you know, I, I keep bringing up that that the way we have been parenting traditionally, the wrong approach is because we're kind of at wit's end. And but going back to what you initially said is it not to make an excuse, but I think it, it's a result of, you know, you're working, you have a job, you know, you're a full time parent, full time job. You, you know, you get race up from the minute you wake up, you're racing them for breakfast. Everything is rushed. Yes. Race them to. And I'm just remembering it, it was my wife doing all this. Um, racing them to school, um, racing them, you know, then late to work, stressed out in traffic, same thing on the, on the way back because, you know, they're going to start charging you $10 a minute 
you know, for after school care if you don't uh, get there in time. Um, and then rush to dinner and then fighting them to get to do their homework. And then, I mean, it's, and then in between there, at some point, you're supposed to be rational with yourself and say, hey, um, I should negotiate this remote control situation or whatever's going on, right? I mean, it's tough. Well, what happens is that when you're at that point of extreme overwhelm, like you just described, um, what I do is I take, I ask the parent, where's your biggest pain point? And let's just do that. Let's just take this mm. method and handle that pain point and let the others go for now. Let's like learn that. how this works. Let's isolate, we look at a clock and we isolate it and we say, let's work on this pain point. What's the big thing that gets you the most, like are you at your most stressed when you get home from work and you're making dinner? And then you're like, well, why can't you, you can take out the garbage. Well, now we have all these things that we never took time to train, but we have these expectations that they aren't carrying through, but we never really took time to explain. And we never really took time to make them feel like they're really helping. But we can do that. We just have to bake it all in up front. And it's possible to do that. Um, but yes, we need to start turning the situation back onto the child to where they are proving to us that they're ready for more responsibility and they're ready for that they can handle more. And there's ways to, to do all of that. We structure it so that you can do that. Um, but again, productively busy. Well, Sue, it's so good having you on. And I'm just going to bring up your book again, Secrets to Parenting Without Giving an F. I'm sure you can find this on Amazon. Also on your website, askmomparenting.com. Um, if anything is about what we talked about today is in that book, which I'm sure it is, I imagine it's well worth the read. And as you said in the beginning, uh, that is the first place they should start um, in, in coming back to uh, finding how you should really be parenting. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.